What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 21 of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. We're officially at that point in the season. The All-Star break is over. The slam dunk contest was terrible. The three-point contest was lit. And the All-Star game with the new format of trying to get to a certain target number was actually fantastic. You saw a lot of buy-in from guys like Giannis, LeBron, Steph Curry put on a ridiculous showing of banging 16 threes. And Team LeBron ends up beating Team Durant. It was a great time to watch for an NBA fan. But, unfortunately, now we hit that lull where we're not going to have basketball games until Friday. Which means, the only time to do it, we are doing mid-season awards. We did a quarter-season review a little while back, so it's time to hit our halfway point. Starting to strive toward the end of the season, heading toward playoff season. And now we got to give, give a little shout-out to uh, what happened so far. So, hopping right into it, we have the Coach of the Year. I'm going to break down Coach of the Year right now with J.B. Bakerstaff. I'm a huge, massive Cavaliers fan, so this might be a little bit of bias, but I think when you're talking about these kind of awards, you have to put in perspective what the offseason preview was for this team, what the predictions were, where they were going, and, and the emphasis on those kind of expectations. And the Cavaliers were... A lottery team, a locked lottery team. ESPN had this team ranked as the 30th team in the NBA, which is dead last. J.B. Bakerstaff took over in now his first full year and has taken them from a bottom dweller to a top four team in the East. That has to take notice. That's just an impressive run. And also look at how he did it. So currently the Cavaliers have a 35-23 and record. They are starting three seven-footers. This is the modern NBA. You're talking small ball. You're talking about guys like Draymond Green at six foot seven. Guys like Jay Crowder and Mikael Bridges playing some small ball center at six seven and six eight. Like this just doesn't happen. And the fact that they have the buy-in and the culture to create this kind of environment with guys like Jared Allen, Lowry Markkinen, and Evan Mobley speaks volumes to the trust that he has put into this team and how much they trust him. J.B. Bakerstaff runs an incredible defensive scheme, and he has given the keys to the offense to Darius Garland. Now, he started the season off with two smaller guards in Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, and unfortunately, Colin Sexton did tear his meniscus, which has caused him to miss most likely the rest of the year. That has allowed Darius Garland to legitimately become the all-star that he is, and for Jared Allen to show more on offense, Evan Mobley is working his way into the offense. He has eight 20-point-plus games so far this season, and he is starting to expand his game. Larry Markin is, is a knockdown shooter. Yes, he's been cold this year, but having to also guard players like Kevin Durant and some of the best wing players in the NBA when you are usually guarding big men is a huge, huge thumbs up for me. And what he's been able to do, that also gets Isaac Okoro back into the starting lineup. And just the mixing and matching and getting the buy-in from veterans like Ricky Rubio and Kevin Love. JB has done things that I don't think really many coaches besides the top tier, like Eric Spolstra, Steve Kerr, and probably Greg Popovich, would have been able to get out of this group. So I love what JB, and he got a massive extension all the way going to the 2027-2028 season. So for him, that shows the buy-in that this team has. And I think that, that goes for to get this team, who was a locked-in lottery team, to where they're at. Well, they're only two and a half games back of the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. That speaks volumes to why he deserves to be the coach of the year. He can't just be always the best record in the NBA. Now I look at a team like the Suns. Monty Williams absolutely deserves to be in conversation. The Suns have been high and away the best team in the NBA. But the expectations were there. They were in the NBA Finals just last year. They were a number two seed in the West just last year. So I'm not saying what they're doing isn't impressive or same thing with a team like the Miami Heat. 
Eric Spolstra, number one team in the East. You have all the COVID, all the injury that they've had to go through to still have the number one seed and still be the creme de la creme of the Eastern Conference. That's extremely impressive. But they were in the finals two years ago. They were a top seed. They were a top six seed in the East last year. Like these teams have finals expectations. Would the Cavs were able to flip their season and flip the script to try and be a championship contender right now? That to me takes priority, and why Jay Bakersfield deserves to be coach of the year. Now, speaking of the Miami Heat, they have the high and away candidate for six men of the year, and that is the boy Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero has been going off this year. I feel like ever since he hit his 20, uh, 2020 NBA Finals run where he was going off for 30 in the NBA Finals against LeBron and AD in the bubble, I feel like he immediately, you you either loved Tyler Hero or you hated Tyler Hero. You either wanted to trade him and try and get Bradley Beal or you thought that Tyler Hero was too much to give up to go get a player like Bradley Beal. And I think that you're kind of caught in the fence. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I think Tyler Hero has the potential to be an all-star and I think that this is the perfect role for him. I think he will eventually be an all-star, probably hit one or two by the end of his career, but I think he's like right there on the cusp of probably that second tier down and will most likely be an injury replacement. But that's totally fine to have. He has found this role with the Miami Heat and is doing it very, very well. He's a gunner. He is an absolute gunner. Last year, they tried to play him a little bit at point guard and he started to expand his playmaking, but he's not really that kind of guy. He is a 20-plus point scorer in this league. He is averaging five rebounds, just under four assists, and he's shooting almost 40% from three. As of right now, if the season were to end today, him and Lou Williams would be the only players to come off the bench and score 20 points per game since 1990. That is another level of scoring ability of what he's able to do to change the game. And not only that, he's not just doing it against backups. He's playing in nearly half of the entire fourth quarter. So he's in closing lineups. He's out there playing with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry. He's in these closing lineups, so he's doing everything. He's playing fantastic in the fourth quarter. He's doing great in clutch situations, and he's a very, very confident player. So he doesn't mind taking those kind of shots, and I love what he's been able to do and kind of Really, now that he has a veteran point guard like Kyle Lowry, no offense to Goran Dragic for what he was able to do back when he was with the Heat, but the Kyle Lowry really lets these players go into their role. Kyle Lowry is an extremely incredible playmaker and is able to put uh, his teammates in the best spots to succeed. And I love what he's been able to do, take Tyler Hero under his wing and say, hey, I'm a 35-year-old point guard. I can't be doing this for much longer. So he's letting Tyler Hero shine, and I love that he's putting him in those situations. Efficiency could be better. He's only shooting 42% from the field, but the fact that he's still doing almost 40% from three is extremely impressive for me, and I think he definitely deserves the nod for sixth man of the year. And he's a huge piece of what the Miami Heat are doing and why they are so successful. And they're an undercover trio. You you have Bam Adebayo and Jimmy. Tyler Hero, you can argue, is more important in this offense than Kyle Lowry. This team is ready to go for a finals run, and I'm excited to see how they're going to make a push. Now, my runner-up... I got to give shout outs to Kevin Love. I think what Kevin Love had, what he's been able to do over the last two years, and how he is just completely bought out of this team, completely bought out of his role, and how he has completely just changed his entire mental approach and changed everything for the game, and how he is legitimately one of the best players to come off the bench in the NBA. He's averaging 14 points, a little over seven boards, and he's shooting 40% from three. 
those kind of players don't walk on trees. He's not the athlete that he was. Granted, he was never really a you know crazy superstar athlete, but for Kevin Love to be able to have this kind of impact and have these defenders around him, he's never been able to play with shot blockers and rim protectors like Jarrett Allen and Evan Mobley, but he has that, you know, he doesn't have Tristan Thompson to the right of him or, you know, LeBron who's, you know, cheating on a little bit of defense to the left of him. So for him, he's able to really shine on offense and you see him even playing a little bit of small forward in these bigger lineups, kind of in where Lowry Markkinen is, but he's on a strict minutes cap. He does not go over 25 minutes. He started twice this year where he did crack 30, but he is on a strict 25 minutes per game. He's been healthy. Thank God. He has stayed away and just been able to have an impact on this team. You have to love what he's been doing over there in Cleveland, and you got to tip his hat. Most improved player of the year. I've been kind of been going back and forth on this one. I think there are two people that are very, very deserving, and you can kind of go for the all-stars. You can say, yeah, the John Morants, the Darius Garlands, and stuff like that, but I really want to give it to someone who's made much more of a leap statistically from you know, maybe a you know, a bit part rotation player kind of coming off like, you know, somewhere in the 15 to 20 minutes per game role who's really taken that leap and moving to, you know, a number two or a number three option in an offense. And I think when you look at a player like Desmond Bain, I think what Desmond Bain has been able to do and not only impact winning, but his stats overall. So last year he was averaging nine points, three boards, and an assist and a half per game. He has jumped up all the way to 18 points, four and a half boards, and two and a half assists per game. His shooting numbers were still right at about 46, 47%, and he's just at 42% from three by increasing his volume of over three threes per game. So he's averaging seven attempts per game compared to four last year. I think by him doing that and you seeing what he's been able to impact the Memphis Grizzlies. He's a massive reason that they are where they are. Yes, John Moran is going to get a tremendous amount of credit for helping the Grizzlies get to a number three seed, but they are not in the position they're in without Desmond Bain. And I think people need to kind of take a step back and say, and I've talked about this in the past, Desmond Bain is a true number two on this team compared to Jaron Jackson. Jaron Jackson is the anchor of this defense. He'll get consideration for defensive player of the year, and we'll touch on him in a little bit. But Desmond Bain is a elite three-point shooter. He is the Clay Thompson to John Morant, Steph Curry, just in the roles that they're playing. He doesn't need to fully create. He's a little bit of a secondary playmaker. You see what he's been able to do off a little bit. Two and a half assists for a, such a knockdown three-point shooter. You'll take that whenever you can get it. But just letting Bain be a gunner and also defensively. The Grizzlies have a top five defense in the NBA, and Desmond Bain is a huge part of that. John Morant's skinny guy, six foot three, a buck seventy-five soaking wet. Desmond Bain is built like a damn Mack truck. Six foot five, two fifteen, two twenty, can guard anybody one through three. He even you see him boxing out huge NBA centers. You see him bodying Rudy Gobert. He is not afraid of anybody. You saw the joking clips of, you know, not backing down to LeBron saying we want all the smoke. I love the intensity that they play and they have completely shifted the culture and Desmond Bain is a massive part of that. And I think that when you're looking at those kind of awards of most improved player, you look at the the winning impact on it. And winning will always affect these awards. The only award that winning really doesn't affect is in my opinion rookie of the year. Rookie of the year is really just how does it look? What kind of stats they have and let them rock out. But for something like most improved player, you know, looking like last year, what Julius Randle was able to do of taking a, you know, Knicks team that was essentially a bottom dweller and having no say in what it was doing to 
all of a sudden coming out and being a second-team All-NBA player and leading the Knicks to a top-four seed in the East, that's a huge factor. And the Grizzlies are kind of in that same boat of being a play-in team, being able to crack into the, into the rotation of the number eight seed, losing to the Jazz in the first round, but now all of a sudden, boom, Desmond Bain steps up. Now they have a lot of guys here. They're in the top three, and they're looking like a legit championship contender, and Desmond Bain has to get a lot of credit for that. The guy that I wanted to lean toward is Inferne Simons, because I think if C.J. McCollum was traded in the offseason and you let Simons really start at the shooting guard position from day one, you could be looking at a runaway favorite because right now his stats are pretty damn good uh, for Simons. He's averaging 17 points, three boards, four assists. And I think that with Dame out, you're going to see Simons just get handed the keys. And since Dame, since he just uh, got traded, Simons is averaging almost 25 points per game, and he's shooting an incredible 40% from three. He is a great playmaker. He can play the two. He can play the three. He has pretty good size at 6'3", 6'4". He can play off the ball or on the ball, and I think he's going to be a great fit next to Dame while they're going through this rebuild phase they're doing. Now, they haven't made the greatest amount of trades, but I think Simons is going to be that guy, and he's been able to improve his points per game by almost 10 points, and I think if he was really in this starting role since the beginning. He's only started half his games so far this season. If he was able to be in that starting role right off the bat, you could be looking at a potential 20-plus point per game player. And that, to me, would put him over the edge of Desmond Bain. And yes, when he does play a factor, but to go from you know seven points per game to nearly over 20, that's an improvement you really can't you know, disallow. Like that's, that's a huge jump. So Simons is definitely going to get consideration, but I'm going to give this one to Desmond Bain. Defensive player of the year, I was going back and forth because there have been some incredible defensive performances. But I'm really going to go with, you know, maybe a little bit of hometown team here. Jared Allen. Jared Allen fits the analytical defender to a T. He is number one in defensive rating. He is in the top ten in blocks per game. He is in the top five in shots contested per game. And what he's been able to do to, essentially, he is the full-on anchor of the Cleveland Cavaliers team. And the, and the matchup that he has with Evan Mobley and how they're able to kind of contest, Jared Allen is able to stay home and really be that lockdown paint presence. And players are shooting in the bottom five percentages at the rim against Jared Allen. That's an incredible stat. And the one that really jumped off the page to me was how little Jared Allen fouls. Jared Allen is averaging 1.7 fouls per game. When you think of these shot blockers, when you think of guys like Mitchell Robinson, Rudy Gobert, or just, just any of these guys that are true, Jaron Jackson Jr., these guys are legit shot blocking menaces, rim protectors, Miles Turner, they're all averaging close to three fouls per game. Jaron Allen is averaging under two. The IQ that he has to just go straight up, contest, and know when to go for a block, when to go for a contest, and just reading the game so well. And what makes him different than a lot of rim protectors, especially a player like Rudy Gobert, he does not get played off the court, no matter what the matchup is. His lateral quickness is fantastic, as well as his recovery speed. He is able to guard a legit one through five, granted in, in smaller spurts when it comes to these guards. You don't want to have Jared Allen guarding guys like Trey Young or John Moran for extended periods of time. But being able to switch on these guys for short spurts and having great recovery speed and length, that's in just something that you can't wish for. You, like Offensive 
nightmares for these kind of guys. And what Jarrett is able to do cannot go unnoticed, especially for taking this team and being a top five defense. That A lot of that does go toward him and what JB's been able to put him in. And I love what Jarrett Allen is doing, and hopefully he gets more shine. I think it's a little bit of an under-the-radar pick, but I am going to go with Jarrett Allen. I think if Draymond Green was healthy for the entire season, it would be really tough to not pick Draymond because of his pedigree, because of what he's able to do, and just his on-the-court, off-the-court splits are not negotiable. They are the number one on-court, off-court defensive splits in the entire NBA, but because he's been injured for so long and he's missed so many games in the first half, it's tough to give it to him because he's missed almost 20 games. I think I do have to give it to Jarrett because of that, but Draymond Green is... You know, you are going to be a top five player of all time when it comes to the defensive side. And just, I love what he's been able to do. And another name I want to shout out real quick, Mikhail Bridges, man. Mikhail Bridges, to me, is a Bruce Bowen clone with a little bit of more offensive side. But, you know, that six foot six, six seven frame, knockdown, corner three-point shooter. And what he's able to do defensive, you know, he's he is allowing the third lowest three-point percentage against him and how he's able to close out on shooters, how he's able to just lock down anybody from the three-to-one spot. He can guard a little bit of power forward, but he will get overworked. I think he's one of the best wing defenders in the entire NBA, and doing that for the best team in the NBA, I think, has to start that conversation. And I love what Bridges has been able to do and what he's been able to bring for the Phoenix Suns this year. Rookie of the year, Evan Mobley. Cavaliers got three. In these awards, Evan Mobley, there's no discussion here. I love what guys like Kate Cunningham has been able to do, as well as Josh Giddy. Evan Mobley is untouchable. 15 points, 8 boards, 2.5 assists, and 1.5 blocks per game. Evan Mobley has had the highest defensive impact and from a top defensive rating since a rookie, since Tim Duncan. That is an insane conversation and a group of people to be in. Tim Duncan level defensive impact from right off the bat. Evan Mobley is a top five defensive rating in the NBA right now as a rookie, being in the conversation with guys like Giannis, guys like Joel Embiid, guys like Jared Allen, guys like Draymond Green. He's in those conversations right now as a 20-year-old rookie. He's What he's been able to do, he can legitimately guard one through five, and I love that when JB throws him out there at the top of a 1-3-1 zone and just extends his seven foot four wingspan and can do and guard anybody and contest any shot. He's in the top five in, in shots contested, just like Jared Allen. And he's been able to do this while also showing an incredible offensive promise. And you saw it in some games while Darius Garland was out, as well as games that Kevin Love missed a little bit. And he has no fear. He has no fear, even with that slender frame and what he is not able to really back down. He has such a great feel and IQ for the game, and you see it in his playmaking. He has had almost 12 games of over three-plus assists. Now, for a rookie, that's huge. For a rookie big man with these playmaking point guards, Ricky Rubio before he got hurt, Darius Garland, now you bring in Rajon Rondo. You've also got a great playmaking big in Kevin Love. So to get Evan Mobley more involved in the ball, more involved in playmaking and putting in these high-low actions, throwing alley-oops from the top left elbow to Jared Allen on a crossfeed is insane. The IQ on this kid is fantastic. And like, like we talked about with Jared Allen, he's only averaging two fouls per game. He's also only averaging two turnovers per game, averaging almost 35 minutes. And he has a lot of the ball. And I love the responsibility 
the future of this kid is all-star. It's all-star. It's all-NBA. He can do anything on the court, and he's starting to take threes. He's doing something that Ben Simmons was never able to do, and he's just taking threes. He's learning on the fly. He's only shooting 26% from three, but he's only shooting about one and a half per game. That's all you can ask for, because if him and Jarrett are going to be able to have a long career together in Cleveland, he's going to have to extend his range. And right now he's shooting a great mid-range shot. If he can legitimately hit one to two threes per game, that's going to open up this lineup to an entire new surface. And I am so here for it. But as of right now, not a single rookie has made a bigger impact than Evan Mobley. I love what Josh Giddy has been able to do. Just from a pure stat perspective, youngest player to get a triple-double. Cade has blown up for games you know, against the Nats when he had that 28-8-8 game. And he's been able to really come into his own uh, over the past month or so, averaging over 26-5. and five. He's been able to really play well. But the pure impact that Evan Mobley has from an analytical side as well as a statistical side is unmatched. So, rookie of the year, Evan Mobley. Now, probably the most controversial one I would say because there are so many incredible candidates and the same it's the same way for every year when it comes to MVP MVP I'm giving it to Joel Embiid Joel Embiid is the closest thing that we have to Akeem Olajuwon in the past 25 years his footwork is unmatched and I want to say I, I you know I was going back and forth with a couple of guys online and kind of just like kind of figuring out where Joel Embiid fit and one guy said Tim Duncan and I was like athletically he's better obviously Tim's the big fundamental from you know the bank shot, just reading of the game, Joel Embiid from a pure unstoppable force is the closest thing to Akeem. And 30 points, 11 boards, 5 assists, has a top 5 defensive rating, has a top 5 contest, is anchoring the entire Philadelphia 76ers with not a single defender on it besides Matisse Thibault. You are doing this all without your all-NBA number two option in Ben Simmons. We can talk shit about Ben Simmons all we want. I get it. I understand. He hasn't played a single minute in the NBA this season. And Joel Embiid is not only keeping the Philadelphia 76ers above water, they are two and a half games out of the top spot in the Eastern Conference. If you switch out Joel Embiid with any other player in the NBA, they don't even come close to that. Not Jokic, not Kevin Durant, and I love Jokic. I love all these top guys. Jokic makes more of a statistical impact, and you see it. I mean, 26 points, almost 14 boards, almost 7 assists. He is incredible. But from a pure dominant perspective of who is going to go out there and dominate 7 games more, Now when he's fully healthy, that's the key for Joel Embiid. It's always been the question. He's missed two and a half years in the first part of his season. He's had knee problems. When he is fully healthy, which thank God he's been so far this season, besides missing 10 to 12 games so far early on, when he is healthy, he is the most dominant player in the NBA. And it really isn't close from a two-way standpoint. Kevin Durant may be the better offensive player, but he's nowhere near the defender Joel Embiid is. Jokic may be a better passer. But Embiid is averaging close to five assists per game. He's starting to expand his playmaking. He's bringing out the ball sometimes. You, if you told me three years ago Joel Embiid was going to be starting playmaking, I would have said you're out of your mind. He is just growing and still making the impact. He's shooting a little bit of the three ball. It's still not falling, but you don't want Joel Embiid shooting threes. You want him down low. Joel Embiid needs to get doubled every single time. And when you double him, that's where he's finding these open shooters, and that's where he's finding these mismatches. His footwork down low in the post, he's one of the best at-the-rim scorers in the NBA. Joel Embiid 
is the MVP. He is a one-man wrecking crew, and not a single player can match up to where he is in the NBA. Now, like I said, you have guys like Giannis, and Giannis is putting up very similar statistics. He's number two in the NBA in scoring. Joel Embiid number one. He's right behind Joel Embiid in rebounds. He's averaging more assists, but from pure perspective, I think what Giannis does as a help defender, I would I want to see Giannis step up more as that that one on one guy. And I think if he what he stepped into as being the center this year is a little bit more creative. He's kind of had to do with no Brook Lopez and you know Bobby Portis is playing a little bit more of that stretch three and D role from a center position. I think if Giannis can take on that matchup of guarding Kevin Durant, of guarding LeBron James, you know, no one's really going to guard Joel Embiid, but if he can be that physical force on the wing and be that lockdown defender, I think that's really the only way that I'm going to take Giannis over Joel Embiid. If he can truly be that lockdown anchor defender, he's a great help defender, but you saw it in the series against the Brooklyn Nets, and yes, the, the Bucks did win against the Nets. Giannis didn't guard Kevin Durant. He was always in help. It was always guys like Chris Milton. It was even Drew Holiday was getting minutes at uh, Kevin Durant. I want to see Giannis go after Kevin Durant and say, I'm locking you up. I'm taking you out of this game. That's what I want to see. And if he's able to do that, that's going to put him in the upper echelon and potentially over Joel Embiid. But until that happens, I'm taking Joel Embiid. And now there are so many conversations. You can even bring guys like DeMar DeRozan, Steph Curry, or LeBron James. And and you can make a case for all of them. But for me, that two-way impact and just the pure player that Joel Embiid is, I'm not taking anybody over Joel Embiid. And it's season-ended right now. Joel Embiid is that MVP. Now, that is it for the midseason awards. Hopefully you guys agree. Honestly, hopefully you disagree. I appreciate the talking. I appreciate the conversation. So let me know what you guys think. You know, you guys have been doing awesome coming by, letting me know in the comments, letting me know online, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, what you guys think and what you guys are feeling, you know, what you guys want to see, what you guys want to talk about. Um, let your voice heard, let your you know, let your view be heard. I love it. If there's anything you specifically you guys want to talk about or what you want to see, let me know. I appreciate you guys coming by and giving me a listen. Uh, this has been episode 21 of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. We'll see you guys next time.